Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now arriving. Tian buzzed me into his building and greeted me with his big smile at his front door. I felt instantly comfortable and followed him upstairs to the solarium. Where do you want me to sit? He asked. Maybe that chair in front of the piano? It's nice and straight. But as soon as I seated myself across from him, I noticed I was facing Charles's painting of my body dripping off a sofa. I quickly trained my focus on Tian and began sketching. Right away, I saw I would have to deal with his smile. He was always smiling, his teeth gleaming, and a smile like that was the hardest thing to sketch. He had other challenges as well. His high cheekbones glowed in a way that reflected on his high forehead. My pencil worked away for a quarter of an hour with my mind repeating the same words. He's so handsome. You have a fine face, I said aloud. Thank you. So do you. And you don't have to worry about that wave that keeps falling on your forehead. I'll, I'll deal with it in the portrait. It's your smile that gives me trouble. I know, I'm toothy. No, you're not. Your smile's wonderful, and it's a big part of you, but I don't want it in the portrait. Let me see. He came over to look through my sketches. You want me looking serious, right? But if you're not going to paint me with a smile, why do you have all these heads with smiles? Because I have to know your smile inside out, so that when I paint you without it, it'll still be there in your expression. I quickly drew just his lips in the corner of the pad to show a slight lift, the hint of a smile. Amazing. You aren't even looking at me, and in two seconds you drew my lips. <laughs> I have you memorized, or almost, but I think I'm going to paint you standing. Why? Because a chair cuts down on your buoyancy. My buoyancy? I haven't heard that word in a while. Is that how I am? Yes. Buoyant. That's funny, because that's how I feel inside. So you'll be standing, barely smiling, but ready to soar. <laughs> Even more perfect. My name means sky. Sky's the limit. Hmm, good to know. <laughs> sky might be the background. We'll see. How old are you, if I might ask? Uh, 29. 30. In June. Ah, we both have June birthdays and decades. <laughs> I'll be 40. You've done a lot for 40. Partly luck, being in the right place at the right time with talented partners, but... You know, now that May and I are here to stay, I want to do something new. Like what? Less business, a new direction. I was thinking of writing a book on China's economic boom since the 70s. It's been a big part of my career, but I don't know if I can write a book. All that solitude. I've been a businessman for 20 years. Well, maybe you could give a lecture series at the business school and then turn that into a book. That way you'd have office space and colleagues, less solitude. Brilliant, and I know just who to call. Thank you, Pia. Well, hey, uh, how about a few more sketches with you standing, and, and that'll be enough for today. But it's only 11. I wanted to offer you lunch. Maybe next time. Fine. Sunday again? Sure, I'll start painting then. He went back to his place, and I made sketches of him, noting professionally and non-professionally his well-proportioned length in charcoal corduroys and a dark blue plaid shirt. He was fit and probably worked out at a gym. 
I wanted to show you Sue's work. The pieces are large. Most are in storage. We can go there one day. Oh, I'd love to see her work. The piece in here is beautiful. It was a large fiber art collage in natural colors. She died a little over a year ago. It was a brain tumor. I know, I'm, I'm really sorry. It must be especially hard for May. It is. The surgery got botched and she actually died from that, but our fresh start here has really helped. Everything's new. The school, the culture, and now she has Charles for a close friend. I can't think of a better healer than love. Yeah, I've noticed how they've become inseparable. They're holed up in a room right now, studying. Mm, I remember those days. And we actually did get a lot done, despite what our parents thought. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm done for now. I've got some great material. Can I see? He came over again and looked down at my pad as I turned the pages. Amazing. I feel privileged. Me, looking much better than myself on paper. Forever. By the way, we'll see each other tomorrow at the architecture meeting. What meeting? The meeting about the new art building. We need teacher input. Oh, maybe Ho's been invited. Uh, he's the department head. But I asked specifically that you both be invited. I think the administration likes to handle its own business. Well, hearing other valued voices is important. I didn't want to diss Lori to Tien, so the conversation ended. A few minutes later, I was on my way. Tian and I hugged in a formal, friendly way at the door, and he said with assurance, I'll see you tomorrow. I had the apartment to myself when I got home. Rod had gone for the day to visit Wyatt and his father, and I knew he had made the trip as a symbolic gesture toward me for seeing Tian. His body language alone had said to me, I'm going home where friends and family really care about me, unlike you, Pia. And as I dropped my sketch pad and backpack in the living room, I knew he was somewhat right about that. Tian was foremost in my mind. My head was replaying all our conversations and adding to them as if we were still talking. And I was itching to start the portrait right away. I could imagine possibilities for his pose, his face, his gaze. I wanted to try things out. His smile, his sensual lips. I came to a full stop at the vision of his lips. My phone pinged. I read the screen. Thanks for the enjoyable morning. Looking forward to tomorrow. I don't want to get in more trouble, I wrote back. You won't. Leave everything to me. My heart was beating fast, the beating heart of attraction. And guiltily, I forced my thoughts to Rod. I tried to pour my libido into his homecoming. I wrote him, I'm making a yummy Sicilian pasta for our dinner tonight. His reply came instantly, as if he had been sitting with the phone on his thigh, just waiting to hear from me. Sounds good, sweetie. Can't wait to see my beautiful Pia. Dinner gave me a purpose, and I made a shopping list for the pasta. There was plenty of time. I could go to the studio after the grocery store and stretch Tian's canvas. I could make sketches. I could keep my mind from zigzagging back and forth from Tian to Rod. I felt caught in a new, secret life, but it wasn't real life. Rod was real life. Tian was just a fantasy. Nothing went the way I had planned when Rod got home, except that we made love as soon as he came through the door. Both of us were electric with desire. He was claiming me victoriously after my visit with Tian, and I was giving vent to those very same attractions he was trying to wipe out. With Rod's body, I made love to Tian. 
Filled with wonder and guilt, I tried to make my pasta dinner especially romantic for Rod. While the water boiled and I set the table, I doted on him and asked about his day. Fine. It was fine. It would have been more fun if you were with me. My dad talks a lot, but it's good to see him now and then. Wyatt and I took a long motorcycle ride. Our contrived harmony didn't last long. As soon as we sat down to our steaming bowls of eggplant spaghetti, his table manners upset me, the way he shoveled the food into his mouth. Hey, what's the rush? We have lots of time. His fork clattered down. You're always attacking me in that harsh voice. Harsh? Harsh? He shoved back from the table, stalked to the kitchen, and emphatically dumped his pasta in the trash can, hitting the side of the bin to be sure I heard the fate of my Sicilian pasta. Then he let his dish clatter into the sink so I would know he would not be cleaning up. He took up his slouching position on the couch with his computer. I ate in silence, no longer tasting my food. I kept thinking how we were living the Kreutzer Sonata. We were the couple in that ugly story that ended in murder. Things only got worse. But first we cooled off enough to fake cordiality. He was the first to break the ice, possibly because he felt guilty for dumping his food and leaving me with the dishes. When I came to the living room for my backpack, he called from the couch. Brenda's trying to interest me in a place at Charlesgate. I like that location, but it costs over a mil. I wrote her that I wanted the best bang for my buck. You wrote her that? The best bang for your buck? Yeah, best value for my dollar. What's wrong with that? But it also means getting the best bang for your money with a prostitute. He flew into a rage, ripped off the couch, and turned purple as he rised. I can't take any more of your attacks! The bedroom door slammed after him. I stood there stunned, and then went to my computer and googled bang for a buck. He was right. The term was used by all the prominent magazines and newspapers. Only a deeper search revealed a connection to prostitution. The bedroom door banged open and Rod brandished his laptop. Nowhere on the web is there any mention of bang for a buck meaning prostitution. I stared at the fanatical shrew screaming at me. Okay, I'm sorry, you're right. I see it's used regularly by the press and not often related to prostitution. I'm sorry I caused you all this grief. Grief isn't the word. I'm offended and I'm done with this. I'm getting out of your life tonight. That way you can rest assured you'll never hear bang for a buck from me again. He stormed back into the bedroom, tossed his computer on the unmade bed, scene of our recent passion, and with rough noise and movements, packed his duffel bag. For a second, he paused to dig his apartment keys out of his pocket and then threw them on the nightside table. I stood in the doorway, paralyzed by the explosion, but also wanting to patch things up, even though I heard my inner voice repeating, it's too hard to love him. He's so unlovable. This sounds extreme, but... If it's what you want, okay, I'll accept it, but it's not what I want, or not this way. If it's really over, then we should talk about it. It's not what I want either, but we'd really have to talk a lot in order to get over a lot of things. We need to cool off before we can talk, and maybe a therapist could help us with, with our communication. Nope. Therapists just want our money. But, you know, I'm willing to talk, but only under the condition that you hear me out without interrupting me. Okay, let's talk. He kicked his duffel to the side and led the way back to the living room, where he sat down in a chair alone, as if a pontiff. I sat on the couch facing him and felt like a punching bag, passively taking his hits. 
You criticize my house and my furniture. You snipe when I park three feet from the curb at Bobolis. You scolded me for hanging wood laundry on the table to dry. It's wood, you yelled at me. Well, I know it's wood, but the clothes were only damp. There isn't anything I can't do without you muttering about it or accusing me of wrongdoing. I can't wave my money in front of a cashier. I gobble down my food. I ruin your precious pasta with hot sauce. I let my jeans sag and I sound like a redneck. What do you like about me? Nothing, I thought. Seeing his face like that, hearing his mimicking and exaggeration of my words and actions, I didn't know him. He was a stranger. I wonder the same thing, Rod. What do you really like about me? I feel like you distort what I say. You're creating an image of me as a monster. And I value myself, but around you I'm starting to see myself only through your hate. It isn't hate. But it had suddenly dawned on me that indeed it was hate. Hate for his mother. If he could turn me into the monster his mother had been, then he could get revenge. Fight her for the rest of his life. It was an alarming revelation. I'm sorry for sounding like I was accusing you of being rude to Brenda, I said. You didn't just sound like you were accusing me, you accused me. I know you're sensitive about my tone, and I've been trying to be careful with it. I'll keep trying. You've improved, but you still have a long way to go. I love you. My jaw dropped. How could he say those words at a time like this? And how could I possibly believe them after his depiction of me? I hope things blow over, I said dully. Me too. He got up to go about his business. We were like worn soldiers from the battlefield for the rest of that night. Our feelings for each other were cool. I harbored resentment and looked for even more to resent, like he hadn't even asked me about Tian sitting for the portrait. He had no interest in my work or my day. What was I to him? I went to bed that night thinking we were in deep trouble, and only time would tell how our relationship unraveled. But we wanted to get married. We had dreams. Why was it so hard to break away from the person you slept next to at night? We want to thank you for listening to episode 15 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spillsbury and narrated by Anna Gravelle, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com. Redline.